Welcome back to the Shores Church Online. Great to be with you today. Whether you are following on Facebook, watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, or checking us out some other way, we are so grateful you're taking a moment to be with us today. I want to let you know that we are in week two of our series, More Than a Holiday. We're approaching Christmas very quickly, but it's more than just about baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is obviously a very important part, but it's more than a holiday. It's more than just baby Jesus. It's why baby Jesus came. And so last week, we, we dove into week one of the series, and we talked about mankind's problem. This is the idea that Adam and Eve, that they ate of the fruit, they were kicked out of the garden, that they had everything perfect. They had this ability of having a relationship with God, with walking with God, talking with God. And in a moment, by disobeying the one rule that they were given, they were removed from the garden and everything was changed forever. They were no longer in that right relationship with God. Now you might say, well, that was harsh. Why did God remove them from the garden? And it was for a simple reason. If you remember from last week's message, if you watched, or you listened, that it was the idea that they ate of the one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they weren't supposed to eat from. There's another tree that was mentioned, the tree of life. And that particular tree, they were free to eat from. There was no instruction not to eat from it. But once they ate of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, death and sin entered the equation. Now, if they ate of that tree of life after the fact, now they would be eternally separated from God. And so death entered and the only way to rid the world of death, the, the rid God's kingdom of death, is by the sacrificial system that you see begin playing out in the Old Testament and ultimately Jesus' death on the cross, which is what this whole series is about and in reality Christianity is about. So God removes them from the garden to jumpstart his plan to bring proper restoration back that we see mankind's issue but we see god's solution to begin to be play out and we see that throughout the old testament that the old testament is foreshadowing and pointing towards jesus christ and we're going to go through some of that this morning this afternoon or this evening whenever you're watching this uh, but before we do would you go ahead and just repeat after me today your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. So here's where we find ourselves in the Old Testament to this point. Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit, and death and sin have now entered the world to prevent eternal separation. They are removed from the garden. And a move that God didn't want to do, but God needed to do to provide a way back. God begins the rescue plan, and the entire Old Testament, like I said a moment ago, foreshadows the coming of Jesus. One of the greatest things that you can do when you're reading the Old Testament is ask, where is Jesus in this passage? Because the whole Old Testament, it's foreshadows. There's, there's under ideas that are happening that are pointing towards Jesus consistently on an ongoing basis. And so the very next thing that we see happen in Genesis then is we see a genealogy that goes from Adam all the way to Noah. After the events of chapters 1 through 4, this feels like an uneventful chapter. Why does this exist? What's the point of this? But let's ask the question, where is Jesus in this? 
So God is giving us a prophetic message in this genealogy. Right away, God is laying out the plan that he is going to do. It's basically, here's sin. Here's the removal of these individuals from the garden so that I can ultimately, in the long run, be reunited with mankind. But I'm going to give you the plan right away in chapter 5. And we see it in this genealogy. And if you've read through the Bible before, I know the genealogies aren't the most exciting thing. But oftentimes, God puts big, important details in what seems insignificant. And I want to point this out. I'm going to read the names and the Hebrew meanings of those names. And you're going to see them come up on the screen as I read each one. And you're going to understand what the message is that God is saying. First is Adam. Adam's name in the Hebrew means man. He has a son named Seth. Seth's name in the Hebrew means appointed. Next up is Enosh, and his name means mortal. Kenan is next, and his name means sorrow. The, the next is Mahalalel, and that means the blessed God. Next up is Jared, and that's shall come down. Next up, Enoch, who's the first prophet. His name in the Hebrew means teaching. Then we have Methuselah. His name means his death shall bring. Then we have Lamech. His means the despairing. And then finally we get to Noah, and his name means rest. Now you can see it on the screen right now, but let's read that. In this genealogy, God gives this message, man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching, his death shall bring the despairing rest. Hear all that for a moment. Right away, mankind is just messed up. And what's God's play? He instantly says through this genealogy to these people that here is the plan. I'm going to come down and I'm going to show that my death shall bring you rest. My death shall reunite you, you to me. But further, I want to show you something because the Old Testament a lot of times says that, well, God is wrathful in the Old Testament. But is he? We look at Methuselah. His father, like we went through in the genealogy a moment ago, is uh, his father is Enoch, the first prophet. The first prophet names his son, his death shall bring. Now, if you're like me, you've asked the question that when I, I look at Noah, and Noah and his family are apparently the only righteous people. That's why he builds the ark. That's why they get on with the animals, and there's a flood, and all uh, humanity and the rest of the animals are, are wiped out. Was any of his... His, his dad, his grandpa, his great-grandpa, were any of them still alive? Because we can see in Scripture that they lived a lengthy period of time back then. So were they still alive? Were, were they still here? And when you do the genealogies, that you do the family trees, and you figure out this person was born here, and then this is when they had their, uh, their son, and this is when they died, and you work it all the way out, what you'll find is Lamech, Noah's dad, was already uh, dead before the flood happened. And Methuselah, his grandfather, dies the exact year of the flood. Now, the interesting thing here is Noah and his family build the ark. They get on the ark. And if you remember from the passage that there is a seven-day period that occurs from when they get on the boat to when the flood starts. A lot of scholars believe, and I believe this myself, is that Methuselah dies. They get on the ark. There's a seven-day mourning period that the Hebrews uh, recognize. And then when that seven-day period ends the flood begins. Basically, Methuselah's death after the mourning period brings the flood. His death shall bring. And that Methuselah lives longer than anybody else in scripture or in human history, 969 years, that 
God gave almost a thousand years for people to get their act together and they still didn't do it. He gave them away and they didn't do it. They didn't get on the ark. They didn't go in when the door was still open. And I want you to notice this, that Jesus is the same way. Jesus has prepared a way, a, a safe passage to get to heaven. And we can enter that, that, that door until the day that the door closes that we see play out in Revelation. And if you're on, you're on. If you're not, you're not. But it's your choice whether you're going to or not. So we can see this right away, God's showing and revealing that here's my plan. This is what it's going to look like in the future one day. And in Genesis chapter 17, moving just a little bit along, we see one of the very first prophecies of Jesus. So let's go ahead and read Genesis 17, 15 through 19 together. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. We then see this play out, be confirmed in chapter 1 of Matthew and chapter 3 of Luke, where we see the genealogies that trace Jesus all the way back to Isaac and ultimately to, to Abraham. God also tells Abraham, this is back in Genesis chapter 15, so we're going to flip back for a moment, verses 12 through 16. This is what it says in uh, those passages. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. And I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. We can now fast forward to the end of Genesis and to Exodus. The Israelites are now in Egypt. They got there by way of Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, who brought them there and brought them there under good terms. He brought them into Egypt during a famine because Joseph had been elevated to second-in-command of Egypt. He was able to protect his family. It was a good moment for them. But Joseph passes away, a new Pharaoh rises up who doesn't know Joseph and his family, and then moves the Israelites into servitude. They spend that 400 years in servitude, and then all of a sudden God is now going to provide a way out that he uses Moses, who had murdered a man, who was on uh, the other side of the desert taking care of sheep, but God called Moses to go and set the people free. And that there's this process of the 10 plagues. And that 10th plague is what we know today is the first Passover. This idea that the firstborn of every home would be, uh, would be taken, that would, would die. Except for those that were in the Israelite homes because they sacrificed the lamb. And the, the blood was put over the doorposts of the house. And then those individuals were, were free. That the blood covered them and protected them. And that... 
in this moment, they're now set free so that they can go out and worship God and that God is going to begin moving them back to the promised land again, that God gives them a new set of rules that this is what you need to do because, again, God is trying to get them back in the proper relationship with him once again that mankind has a problem, but God has a solution. And so he starts instituting these rules and regulations about how to, to do this sacrifice and to do that sacrifice to become right with him, knowing the fact that these are all temporary things, that these aren't going to permanently make you uh, sinless, but ultimately that Jesus would step in and would be the perfect sacrifice because the law basically mandated either man dies or God dies. And God steps in by saying, I'm going to come down as a man, as Jesus. I'm going to be born of a virgin. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. I'm going to be born of a virgin so I can die the death that they should have had to die so that I can reunite them and we can be one again. I can be that perfect sacrifice and this is how I'm going to do it. Now, here's the thing you need to realize with Jesus is that we've already talked about several things that point towards Jesus, but I want you to hear some prophecies. There's over about 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament that point to who Jesus is and what Jesus would do. And I want you just to hear a few of them. First, we have that the Messiah would be born of a woman. That's Genesis 3.15, and it's fulfilled in Matthew 1.20 and Galatians 4.4. 4. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That's from Micah 5, 2, and it's fulfilled in Matthew 2, 1, and Luke 2, 4 through 6. The Messiah would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14, fulfilled in Matthew 1, 22 through 23, and Luke 1, 26 through 31. The Messiah would come from the line of Abraham. That is from Genesis 12, 3 and Genesis 22, 18, fulfilled in Matthew 1, 1 and Romans 9, 5. That Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10, and fulfilled in Luke 3.33. The Messiah would be heir to the King uh, David's throne, 2 Samuel 7, 12-13, and Isaiah 9.7, and it's fulfilled in Luke 1.32-33, and Romans 1.3. The Messiah would be called Emmanuel. That this is from Isaiah 7.14, fulfilled in Matthew 1.23. Emmanuel means God with us. The next one would be that the Messiah would be sent, would spend a season in Egypt. That's Hosea 11.1, 1, fulfilled in Matthew 2, 14 through 15. That there would be a massacre of children at the Messiah's birthplace. That this is what King Herod does when he's looking for Jesus. This is from Jeremiah 31.15 and fulfilled in Matthew 2, 16 through 18. A messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah, Isaiah 43 through 5, and is fulfilled in Luke 3, 3 through 6. The Messiah would be rejected by his own people, Psalms 69, 8, uh, and Isaiah 53, 3, and fulfilled in John 1, 11, and John 7, 5. That the Messiah would be called a Nazarene, Isaiah 11, 1, and fulfilled in Matthew 2 through 20, uh, verse 23. And that the Messiah would speak in parables, Psalms 78, 2 through 4, in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, and fulfilled in Matthew 13, 10 through 15, and verses 34 through 35. Now, as you see that, that's just a handful of the 300 prophecies that were given about Jesus that Jesus fulfilled. You'll notice, and we've talked about uh, in past weeks, 
that the gospel of Matthew, the primary purpose is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why as you hear me rattle off these verses, so many of them are fulfilled in the book of Matthew because Matthew was trying to prove that Jesus was the Messiah by using the very prophecies that were given by prophets of the past. They were foreshadowing to a future where Jesus would be on the scene, and Matthew was trying to prove that Jesus was the individual that was being foreshadowed about. Now, like I said, there is uh, scholars that believe about 300 prophecies of Jesus, and that circumstances are include his birthplace, the lineage, the, even the method of execution that he experienced th that was not even a thing yet, that it was uh, announced ahead of time that Jesus would die the way he did when it wasn't even a method yet of execution. In the book Science Speaks, Peter Stoner and Robert Newman describe the statistical impossibility of one man whether accidental or deliberately, fulfilling just eight of these prophecies. In order to fulfill eight of these, the chances of it happening was one to 10 to, uh, to the 17th power. That here's the, the magnitude, here's how difficult it would be for Jesus to just fulfill eight of these prophecies given by different people in different time periods. That here's, here's a good example of it. 10 to the 17th power would be a representation of taking silver dollars laying them all over the state of Texas in two feet deep. So two feet deep all over Texas of silver dollars and marking one of those coins, mixing them all up and then blindfolding someone and said, you can travel as far as you want. You can dig as deep as you want, but you need to find the one silver dollar in the state of Texas that has been marked. I think we realize the fact that that's a very difficult, if not completely impossible task. And that's what Jesus fulfilled just by fulfilling eight prophecies. But he fulfilled all 300. That the only way that he could be this individual was that he was Jesus, that he was the Son of God, that God was speaking to each individual as they were writing the Old Testament, saying, there is a solution that's coming. Jesus is coming. That I know that you moved away from me because you made a mistake, you fell into sin, but I am providing a way back. Mankind has a problem, but I have a solution. That solution is Jesus, that I'm going to die on your behalf so that you can be reunited with me and spend eternity with me. That he gives this revelation of this is who Jesus is, and it's all through the Old Testament. Please, when you read the Old Testament, do me a favor, consistently read the New Old Testament looking forward to the New Testament, looking forward to what Jesus was going to do. Because when you read it with that kind of a lens, when you read it with that kind of understanding, it changes the way. When you're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, it strengthens your faith because you can see that God had a solution the entire time. Whether you're looking at the genealogy going from Adam to Noah, or you're looking at how Methuselah's death brought in that flood, or you're looking at Abraham and the promises that he was given, or Moses in that first Passover, because ultimately he was leading the people in a Passover of a sacrifice of a sheep. But Jesus, and the, the remembrance of that holiday, just like we're saying more than a holiday with Christmas, that Passover is more than a holiday. It was the moment where Jesus was placed as that sacrificial lamb that we can be covered by his blood by his death in the cross so that we can be restored and made new and we can be protected that we can enter into that ark 
like Noah did and be protected and come out on the other side that we can experience eternity with Jesus if we'll simply invite Jesus in. This is more than a holiday. It's more than presents. It's more than lights. It's Jesus coming down as a baby born of a virgin so that we could one day be reunited with God. He knew why he was coming. He knew what the, the problem was. And God had sent Jesus as that solution. So while we celebrate the birth of Jesus coming up in a, in a couple of weeks, I want to remind you that it's more than just the birth of Jesus. It's more than just baby Jesus. It's about what Jesus did. It's why he came. It was that rescue mission that God had, had put him on because God had the proper solution. Today, I want to pray with you that if you've never accepted Jesus, today can be your day. Please don't wait another moment that mankind has a problem. I have a problem. You have a problem. It's called sin, but that God saw us where we were and provided a solution. And that solution, if we just ask Jesus into our life and to set us free from our past, that Jesus will break us free from our mistakes and allow us to walk a path that he has for us that I want to pray for you in a moment, that if that's you, just ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to come in and change you and transform you. And I want to let you know too, if this is you, I want you to, in the comments of this video, uh, to email us at office at theshoreschurch.org. Go on our website, myshores.church, and you can click a button that says Start My Christian Journey, and you can learn more about what Jesus did and the power that is behind his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. But I want to pray for you this morning if that's you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that we are celebrating more than just a holiday. It's not just about a moment in time where you were born, but it's about the reason why you were born. It's about the reason why you came. Lord, we thank you that you came. But Lord, we thank you that you lived that sinless life, that you were the teacher that you were, that you encouraged and you taught and you built up all of the individuals that would go on to plant all of these churches that would take the gospel message all around the world. Lord, we are so grateful and we are so thankful for that, God. And Lord, we just pray right now that anyone watching this video, that they don't know you, that they would say, Jesus, come in right now, that you would begin changing them and transforming them and setting them free like I know you're able to do, that you will then protect them just like the Israelites were protected when they put the blood of the lamb around the doorpost during the first Passover. Lord, you want to do that same thing to us and to our hearts to protect us and to seal us and to spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray that over their lives right now in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Well, thank you for taking a few moments and joining with us. Remember that if you are watching on Facebook, that you are following uh, us on YouTube, checking us out on Spotify, however you're joining us today, would I, I would just encourage you to like and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any other content in the future. We'd love to be able to spend a little bit of time with you each and every week. Uh, as always, if you want to know what's going on at the church, if you're local, we'd love to see you in the building. But go to myshores.church and you can see up-to-date information of what's going on. It's your ability to give online, sign up for events. We'd love for you to check out myshores.church to see what's happening. But before we close, would you go ahead and say the Great Commission with me? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have a blessed day, and I look forward to being back with you next week as we talk about the Holy Spirit execution. It's going to be a good one. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll catch you next time.